I'm Austin. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> All right. We're we, are, we are on time. We are on time. <laughs> Just very excited. I've got a lot of mm-hmm. exciting things happening. All right. Well, your gritty girls are back on our bi-weekly schedule, which we are going to cling to for dear life. Yeah, this is a busy week, so um, we're jamming it in here. (laughs) Jamming on the pod, as they say. So, all right, updates. I've got a lot. I'm going to breeze through them pretty quickly so we can get to the content of the pod. First one, uh, so we've talked a little bit about the campaign to replace David Byrd or to just eliminate him off the face of the earth and, and make him the scorched pedophile that he is. Uh, the pack, the Tennessee pack, we have uh, someone who helped us organize a lot of the resistance is also a movie or a movie. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, she used to be in the, the music industry. Mm-hmm. So she organized a Dixie Chicks benefit concert benefiting the Enough is Enough pack. And so that's on mm-hmm. Tuesday. I'm very excited. Uh, I saw Representative Gloria Johnson, who's been mentioned on the pod a few times, or Griddle, our number one legislative Griddle. And I asked her to invite most of the Democratic caucus to the event in an effort to say, hey, come support the resistance uh, at the legislature, but also you don't want us putting up a billboard about you. So (laughs) spend $15, buy a ticket, come on out, uh, watch cover artists perform not ready to make nice because that's exactly how I feel in this moment. There's also apparently a reporter coming from the Washington Post because I don't know if you know this, Anna, but the Dixie Chicks are going on tour in 2020. So, and I don't know if, I don't know a lot about your childhood, but for the the Dixie Chicks for me were a political reckoning, especially when they came out against the Iraq war and condemned Bush abroad. Uh, And so I'm really excited to, to get the chance to meet this reporter and talk about the resistance, the political reckoning of women within the state of Tennessee and how it relates to the Dixie Chicks arc of righteousness. Second update. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and read the tweet that has now reached over 10,000. Oh, even more people. Let's, uh, more than 10,000 people. So a little background. My roommate during 2017, the healthcare, the congressional healthcare fights of 2017, which I was a part of. Which you were a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate, who is a, I was going to say a woodsmith. That's mm-hmm. not right. It's a wordsmith. Wood, wood, woodworker? Wood, yes. Carpenter? Carpenter. I'll get back. To, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ask and get back to that. She created a six-foot coffin that is probably my greatest uh, prop, uh, besides my Marie Antoinette wig, obviously. So... During the course of 2017, this this giant six foot wooden coffin traveled across the state of Tennessee, um, you know, the Grim Reaper of the American Healthcare Act or whatever it was called, the, the various uh, names of whatever the destruction of our healthcare system was called by the via the Republicans. Um, but anyways, it is somewhere in East Tennessee. It's in Maryville, uh, and so I got a call from one of my group leaders in Kentucky and said, "Hey, we're gonna host an event in Louisville." Uh, that is talking about the graveyard of legislation that Mitch McConnell has yet to put, or the graveyard of legislation, right? Because mm-hmm. McConnell refuses to to put these bills on the on the Senate floor to have a fair trial, if you will. <laughs> fair trial, <laughs> those words. 
Ugh, in the wake of impeachment. Anyways, so I called my parents because my dad has a truck. And I said, what are the chances of you transporting this coffin from East Tennessee to Louisville? And lo and behold, my mom called me this morning after yoga and said, oh, wait, I can't do her voice. I'm not supposed to do her voice. She's not like when you do it. She hates it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, it's okay. a character. It's not, it's a caricature. Okay, it's okay. Not, it's you not, know, yeah, I know, I know. We don't really, we don't really. She's like, she well, talks. your dad and I are uh, thinking of spending Louisville, at, uh, Valentine's Day in Louisville. So I think we would be able to drive your, your coffin and we'll just, we'll make a trip out of it. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So then I tweeted, I'm going to read out the tweet and we're getting, we're going to, my parents driving a six foot wooden coffin from East Tennessee to Louisville over Valentine's Day for an anti McConnell rally is peak 2020 resistance. Not all heroes wear capes. So, and the best part of it is I told them they need to be taking pictures of the entire trip so that I will have some updates via Twitter and we'll also post them on the on the grits platform uh, my third update is I'm going to New York this week for my two-year anniversary so we signed up for erotic yoga well wow hot I've yoga. never heard of that okay <laughs> couples yoga I don't know it's not I don't know it might just be like hot breathing I need to like probably do some research or edit this out you should know um what you're prepared for what to prepare for yeah I just think three hours of breathing on each other sounds like a night with a bulldog. It's not really <laughs> it's not really anything I'm interested in doing. So anyways, those are my updates. What are your updates, Anna? So what are your gritty, gritty updates? Oh gosh. Um, so we are headed, I guess when this comes out, um, we are headed to Tulsa to have our first couple shower um with all of Alex's friends and family. And at that point, I also will have asked all of my bridesmaids. You refuse to post anything about grits yet uh you repurposed some bridesmaid stuff so i'm just saying i'm just saying the wedding on your digital priority list i know it's high but i'm just saying maybe know, maybe one of these episodes will be worthwhile so you can repost it it's mainly that we have to do it more than twice in a row once a year so that it like it's not something that I'm like, hey, everyone listen to this, and then it, like, just stops being posted. Well, uh, <laughs> which is kind of what happened I think it's the sporadic time. nature of our podcast that people really enjoy. Yeah. Anyway, it works okay. for me, but, yeah, I will publicize it. But yeah, so I started asking. Um, it's really only going to be sisters and uh, childhood friends, but I'll have eight, eight lovely ladies by my side that's a lot I know well five sisters I don't sisters. even have eight friends so well it's five sisters oh okay <laughs> and three childhood <laughs> okay, friends so, so then I had to start like obli- yeah I couldn't even okay. get college friends in there so um but it's gonna be such a fun time and um so that's taken a lot of time getting their gifts ready and shipping those out also trying to pick uh an outfit for a shower in February work was really busy at the front end because of the state of the state and the state of the union that was uh quite traumatizing took it out of me I don't there was something emotionally after the state of the union that I haven't been that low in like a really long time I ended up taking off work on Wednesday really yeah I it like hit me in another way usually I think it's because for so long I've avoided listening to Trump talk and it's almost like it almost I'm, it wrecks me. Like, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. So it was particularly hateful. And I think because I, I get my news filtered through reporters and through podcasts. So I've started listening finally over the weekend to some of the podcasts, like talking about the state of the union. 
and like the daily and what the health and, um, and pansy politics and all that. And it takes out the, like, I don't know. It makes it seem so much less harsh than what it really was. Cause like I was getting, mm. I was getting goosebumps from some of the stuff he was saying when he was particularly like talking about immigrants and wow. like, and, and see, I didn't watch it. And see, it's like I hearing thought it was you hearing, so, yeah, so, listening to you. so just painful to Yikes. listen to. And then like, if I would have just done the news part of it, I would have not had that emotional reaction, but I don't think that they quite like, I was so scared after I listened to it. Yeah, you texted me saying you want to go canvassing. <laughs> yeah, which is a lot for me. That means a lot. It's a lot for this this uh, introvert over here. So I, I've been on an emotional roller coaster about what I, where I think I'm most effective, and also like just recognizing like almost like the serenity prayer. Like you can only control so many things. I can't control that he is a horrible human being, and that he has a lot of power, and that there's a lot of people. I think the scariest part is like sure some. Someone, even someone in power, can say really terrible things, but the fact that the that the momentum is behind him and that I just don't and see, the money. yeah, and I don't see a way that that changes this year. Um, I would hope to be wrong, like hopefully I am, but just after listening to that, it just made me so much less um, hopeful and so much more determined to try to bring out um, the better angels. Well, that's <laughs> in our what country. throws me for a loop, especially you know. There's all these. There's a narrative about how tr- the Republican Party is not the party of Trump. And yet, with the, in the wake of the impeachment trial and Senate acquittal, and with Mitt Romney, the only one stepping forward and saying, I, I can't in good con- conscience acquit him of the first charge, mm-hmm. knowing that I have to go back to my grandchildren. And I think I don't have any Trump-supporting friends. I don't intend to. My time is better spent organizing and supporting people who are doing great things in that are anti-Trump but to hear you talk about how you were emotionally run and how how an immigrant might internalize that speech and just feel like their livelihood I mean their, their livelihoods are at stake right and mm-hmm. I just I can't I just it's hard for me to see I, 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 I just don't get Trump I, clearly like I just think yeah. Trumpism is antithetical to everything I stand for and if you yeah. are a Trump supporter, I, I really have a hard time engaging with you. Although, we will talk a little bit about in the pod, uh, my canvassing efforts in rural Tennessee. Yeah, um, we can go ahead and start talking and I about think, And I think there's, like, people who, who voted for Trump because of, you know, the economic populism message. But the people who voted for Trump because they are vengeful and racist and think immigrants should be behind in cages, I don't think we're going to see that on <laughs> anything, but... So yeah. on that happy note, yeah. Anything I, happy you want to end with in your updates? Oh, I finalized the food for my wedding. That's so exciting. Yeah. I think you offer this like on this pod things. since marriage and children are so far away from me that there are people that listen to our pod that are married and went through this. So I think your your wedding trials and triumphs yeah, I know will it's be probably helpful. Boring. It's like I don't. I never wanted to be someone consumed by it, and that's why like we got a planner and yeah. But that's it's a. It's consuming because you're spending so much money in one day and you're like, you're also asking people to come from all over the country and spend so much money to be there. And it's just a lot. Which reminds me, we should have an episode on plantation weddings. (laughs) (laughs) Not a happy note to leave either, but we're moving on. I'm not having a plantation wedding in case anyone was wondering. For the record, for the record, we are 
absolutely abolishing plantation weddings <laughs> on this pod, uh, first and foremost. We'll have Garden and Guns editor on eventually to talk about that, the effort to do that. Uh, so, Anna, I want to talk about the subject for the pod today and what, what made you think of it. Sure. So, I was thinking about more like discussion topics or things that kind of make me pause my everyday life that that I feel like are normalized or kind of brushed over, but that I really think are problematic at their core. So the concept, um, this is especially true in Nashville where gentrification is like, everyone knows the word gentrification, which probably like, you know, 10, 15 years ago was not a common phrase, but everyone in Nashville talks about it all the time. And with our opportunity zones and, you know, this is a changing neighborhood or up and coming. There's this other side to it of, of the kind of normalized language of um, so-and-so, that's it, that's a bad neighborhood or that's a sketchy area mm. or that's, there's only certain parts that you should go to or there's only certain parts where the development is enough or white enough is really what, right, you know, right. and so at the same time, there's a bit of the authentic pushback of like, we don't want the tall and skinnies. We don't want these developers coming from other, other cities. Um, we want the quick mart on the side, but we also want our, yeah, our duplex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we also want it to be, you know, pristine and have the sidewalks clean and have the, the retail that we want and all that. And so it, neighborhoods are so complicated here. And from a health perspective, we'll talk a little bit about Ooh. this, but like the, how different zip codes in Nashville, the health disparities are just through the roof just and in neighborhoods too so if you compare like oak hill to north nashville i think the difference in the life expectancy is at least 25 years what yeah yeah i can put that in the show notes it might even be more than that but and i think in north nashville one in five men um are incarcerated or have been incarcerated in their lifetime and so there there's certain things like that where there's these true differences in the in the um well-being and the health of the people in the areas um there are like crime statistics are statistics they are data but we both live in a in a black neighborhood and historically black historically black gentrifying yeah gentrifying and so uh, thinking about our complicity in that um I think would be interesting. Um, But it's also something that you are aware of. And just to provide an anecdote, when I first moved into my house, um, we had a neighbor across the street named Daquan who would come out to his house and smoke weed, which he did, you know, every other day. And it was his routine. And we had a white family who moved into a house that had a gate and they keep to themselves, right? But it's right next to his house. Comes the one night I'm at my house and I get there's a knock on the door and it's an Nashville police officer and he's pointing to Daquan who's sitting on the the sidewalk and says, Do you know this guy? And I said, Yeah, it's my neighbor. And he's lived here for his family's lived here for decades. That's my neighbor. He's like, Oh, well, you know, the family next to him called the cops because he was smoking weed in his car. And I unleashed. I said, this is an outrage. I was like, that is a white family who moved into a black neighborhood and is calling the cops on a family that has lived here for generations. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, how dare you? And it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens all the time. You see these viral videos of, of white people calling the cops on the black UPS guy. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's... Yeah. What it, What is it called? There's like the common we probably sound or I probably sound like so white but no there's like that your day-to-day life and just existing in a space and especially in spaces where 
you have existed for generations and then all of a sudden someone coming in and policing your behavior policing your culture yeah because they're the dominant culture no that's absolutely yeah. right yeah and like we've had even from like an outsider perspective so like coming back to our uh, coming back to our house like we own our house and we made we were like painstaking in wanting something obviously that we could afford that would appreciate over time and that didn't look like it was a McMansion dropped onto a tiny lot and, <laughs> you know, like squeezed through a shrinky dink machine, like dropped on a lot. Like it is a, it was an originally a two bedroom, one bathroom brick home. But at the same time, like we didn't want to go out to the suburb. We can't afford anything in Nashville. Right, and we didn't right. want to go out to the suburbs where we could have gotten a four bedroom, three bathroom house in a gated neighborhood. Which is the type of buying that accelerates gentrification you know yeah. and that's but it's you buy in the areas that are do, because that's the only place you yeah. can afford and I don't mean to like rationalize it at all but then we started anyway we started getting like ubers home and our uber drivers thought it was an airbnb and so they'd be like you know this is not a safe neighborhood they were like so concerned for us they're like do not walk around here or do you know where you're at be very careful well to be fair to be fair and my landlord owned multiple properties owned the big church the ray of hope church which is right across from where the barbecue place is over here mm-hmm. for those of you listening i apologize if you don't know <laughs> if you don't know where the uh, east national uh uh cleveland park barbecue joint is mm-hmm. uh but he he told us this used to be the murder the murder capital of nashville mm-hmm. so but it's only been in the past few years where things have changed because you know these families and i just you know i think um Neighborhood stigma is very real, and that's something that I have – I think there's a few ways that you can combat it. One, I think, is uh, being a a good steward champion for the neighborhood that you live in if it's Mm -hmm. historically black. You know, I'm always talking about Dickerson, and I, like – I don't want to live anywhere else. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love – I love our neighborhood, Um, although (laughs) Dickerson Pike is known as the prostitute center of Nashville – our local paper independent publication, thank you, the National Scene wrote an article, don't don't take the dick out of Dickerson or taking the dick out of Dickerson because they, I don't know, there's all these like ordinances <laughs> that prevented prostitutes. Anyways, all that to say is my neighborhood is incredibly authentic, even though it's, it's gentrifying um, and people are di- being displaced. But I think like as white folks, like it's our duty to to make sure that we that we're not like if you're in a gent- like if you're listening to this pod and you're in a gentrifying area what can you do to be that's such an ally a, that's such a big question because it's not like you can make housing prices go down right right right, right. <laughs> so and it's also like you want I, I think making sure that as much as you can have a say in what development goes in and making sure it reflects the needs of the community so I don't think that necessarily all of the retail on Dickerson reflects the needs of the community because there's a, such a long history of um, disinvestment in black communities and so building building interstates through black communities oh, right, and right. then uh, having like that's where a lot of used car lots and um, cash advance places and fast food is so right, much more prevalent right. food, in low income food deserts and food deserts not building um grocery stores and you know I do think that we need we've seen a a, a good amount of development on you know adding a 
a nice Dollar General. And although that's way more expensive than Kroger, but at least it's like filling some of that gap in our neighborhood. But I, I, it's, I still struggle with how you can advocate for a community and not be a white savior. One. Yes, yes, exactly. Like this reminds me of the promise, the podcast about uh, Casey Holmes and how Ooh, all, yeah, the, we'll link all that. the movement there. If you live in Nashville and you haven't listened to this podcast, it's WPLN's uh, podcast about the the East, East Nashville projects. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, that was just more than anything a storytelling podcast to give a glimpse into the neighborhood and how like what uh, community members like they want to live in a safe neighborhood. Like no one doesn't want to live in a safe neighborhood. Right. The police haven't had the relationship with the community in a way that actually makes a safer neighborhood. Right. Right. And I think when you're talking about equality, I just want to, we can, I'll be sure to include this link, but reputation as a mechanism of inequality, communities acquire reputation for being sketchy to some extent, independently of whether or not that sketchiness is real. And in a way that's heavily influenced by racism. And once they have a bad reputation, the stigma helps create the very problems it warns, it warns others away from it in part by causing people to avoid the neighborhood. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy when it comes yeah. to neighborhoods. Um, and we also, I also just pulled up a link about ways that as if you're living in a gentrifying community, how you can be uh, an ally or the, mo- the more PC term in 2020 is accomplice. And two of the things I, I want to highlight are one, uh, making socially conscious purchase decisions. If you live in a gentrifying neighborhood and you are not going to establishments that are people of color owned, you are part of the problem. The Mexican restaurant on Dickerson, <laughs> El Matate. So um, I've become very close with them. That's another, oh, you know, if we ever have a launch party for something, I hope it's at El Matate. The other thing, it says voting, which for those of you who didn't, who aren't in Nashville, we had a municipal election last August. Our council district for our neighborhood, Cleveland Park, um, in this neighborhood, was between uh, someone who really wanted to overdevelop the area and was being bankrolled by developers and uh, our DSA, uh, now Councilman Sean Parker. Uh, and Sean Parker has been such an advocate for communities and neighborhoods, and he has an excellent racial, he does everything through a racial equity lens. We voted to make sure that he was our councilman, and now he is, and he's doing a fantastic job. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was, and I don't know if you experienced this, and maybe you'll have some commentary about your childhood home. But I feel like my neighborhood home, my parents always talk about the house hasn't appreciated because of, you know, it's not in, well, one, I went to a private school and I remember kids growing up were like, oh, you live on the wrong side of the track. So even back mm-hmm. then, there was kind of a stigma about the neighborhood I lived in. It was a fantastic neighborhood. It was a West Knoxville, they called it the West Knox box. So very traditional, lots of, and it was mostly white families. Well, the school system, now a lot of neighbors have moved in that are immigrants and they're people of color and our neighborhood is incredibly diverse. And I just wonder, you know, at some point, when will people find value in that? You know, like Mm -hmm. I just, I've really tried to change like, oh, like, you know, there's a a Hispanic, you know, Hispanic families moving in um, or, you know, a a Vietnamese families moving in and oh, that, that really, really, it it makes, it appreciates the, the, the value of the home because you are in a diverse neighborhood. And I just wonder if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah. I think then of any neighborhood in Nashville, I think like the nations probably reflects that Mm. the most. Um, Although I'm not sure of the of the minutia of the politics there with like if families are being driven out it's obviously an expensive everywhere in Nashville is expensive so yeah I I think I mean I grew up in a 
uh, basically all black area and, you know, it was the only white person on my bus growing up and um, besides me and my siblings. Oh, really? And then at one point oh, I, I was know. the only, yeah, Shreveport's very, very black. I mean, it's just like a very black city. And so I do think that I, um, I grew up with a, with that feeling of like, you live in the wrong, you live in the wrong mm-hmm. area. And that has also like, in a way, like, that's why like, no neighborhood in Nashville scares me. I'm using, I'm using air quotes. Like I'm not scared by any neighborhood. And so that's why I kind of just like, it really, or like you question, you question the, the narrative around that because you're like, right. Right. Cause I just, to me, it's people living. There's a certain amount of pain, particularly like learning more about like the violence in certain communities. Like no one wants to live in a violent community. That's what like, I really, I really truly believe that. And I think that what people need it sounds cheesy but like opportunity and to be to be acknowledged to to walk down the street I walk you know go on walks like from the week we moved in we started walking regularly around the neighborhood at which night. I do too and yeah. feel totally safe yeah and I've never felt I've never felt anything but comfortable if you feel like someone is actually a threat like it's typically because something is really wrong in their life like they are they have a mental illness they're in a really really bad place in some way like maybe they have addiction issues I don't know like and if you feel unsafe you should figure out a way to get yourself to safety but also if you just like walk out if you live in a black neighborhood and like you feel unsafe just walking out that's more in your head that's like an implicit that's an implicit those are implicit biases those are compounded implicit biases that like you're internalizing I know a few people like that that have pepper spray and like, you know, and it's like, no, no, I'm not. No, this neighborhood has meant so much to me. It's meant so much for my development, my neighbors, uh, my neighbor, Bobby, who's been at my side since I moved in, who's my my go to. But I felt very unsafe and a lot of as as a woman, it's a little bit different in that. like That's true. That's true. I have felt unsafe in situations that people would say are. I felt felt unsafe with white men at yeah hundred percent. And if I felt safe at, uh, unsafe in those situations, like it's not about there is a larger problem that we have with with why do people commit crime and mostly it's men mostly against women. Oh wow! It, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, stranger like stranger. A lot of it is interpersonal conflict, obviously, but like just thinking about. Why a woman has to be afraid? You're saying like the fear dynamics of yes, women. It, why a woman has the, to be yeah. afraid walking down the street is because there are underlying societal issues of misogyny that make men want something of women. And I'd be curious, yeah. like, and I think the intersection of race and gender is very complicated when it comes to <laughs> gentrification. When it comes yeah. to like, we don't, you know, we're not experts. And I think like, but we see this intersection in our own lives and what that looks like. And you're hundred percent right. Like I am more scared of walking into a room of 15 white guys that are like fraternity guys rather than in my black neighborhood. I, I think a lot about why someone would want to steal. So I think like that by far, like statistically the number one crime in our neighborhood which is a crime in every neighborhood, is some type of theft. It's usually petty theft, and then that escalates. Like, robbery and burglary are not as common as just theft of things. These are things. I'm not a very zen person, but one thing I'm so zen about is, like, who cares if your shovel is gone? Or even, like, your package off your... Well, and most of the time they're being pawned because they need money. Yes, exactly. It has to do with something other than, And if you have more, like, if if you have an excess of things, so be it. 
And you and yeah. I are a lot, you and I are exactly the same when it comes to that. Yeah. To me, the, you know, having a higher chance of theft is like not something to me that makes me feel unsafe in my home. Like at all. That's a really nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Cause the chance of someone like violating my personal space or like that can happen. It's, I shouldn't, I don't want that to affect how I live my life. And I think so many people operate from a place of fear. And that's why like, I mean, I think people should start to notice it more when someone says that's in a sketchy area, that's an unsafe area. And check them. I'm not check them. Yeah. And, and, and just start noticing those instances and start saying, well, why do you, why do you think that has something happened to you there? Do you know anyone and unpack something it. that has happened? Yes. You know, someone that, that has happened to in that area. You know, have you ever been to this restaurant, this, and start to, like you said, like patronize businesses owned by people of color and to start saying like, and to start hyping them up. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, like, I mean, like, who's been to Sugar Hat Bakery <laughs> on a Sunday for brunch? Let me know. I will take you. Thank you. <laughs> That's the least that we can do as we kind of work through the messiness of, you know, I would totally take the criticism if someone, you know, tomorrow was like, you made property values go up in this neighborhood a lot. And I could also say that the person who bought our house for $80,000 three years ago, and they're selling the house not to mm. a family of color. So you're saying like develop, like, ma- like property, like realtors have a duty, maybe. Maybe, I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think everyone should should examine their place in it. And, and their role within gentrification. Yeah, yeah. their role yeah. within it because we all have – they couldn't do that without having the demand of families wanting to live. But also a lot of families don't want to live in this area still. There's so a that's big fascinating because yeah. like, I've been here for three years and it's it's so family-friendly. I know. I know. And I've, Besides I that white had, family across like, the street, if you're listening <laughs> to this, you are not invited back. And I'm doing everything in my power to evict you. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I think it's more like – an awareness and then just start building towards um, addressing housing issues in our city because combating neighborhood stigma. If you are a griddle, you are a committed griddle, go out, go forth and combat neighborhood stigma. (laughs) Yeah. Do your griddle duty. And we should have more diverse neighborhoods and that should be our goal. That should be, that should be a strength of a neighborhood. Yes. I don't want my kids to go to I don't want my kids growing up in Belmede with all white kids (laughs) in an all white neighborhood in a gated community. I mean, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you my blood boils when I go into all white neighborhoods because I'd feel, I feel uncomfortable because I'm like, how could people grow up like this? How can people live in an area where there's no diversity? And some people crave that. I mean, that's what the scary part is. P- people want to make themselves immune to a diversity. And I'm just like, you, well, one, you're the bane of my existence. But two, how dare you? <laughs> but anyway, that's you know. very righteous. <laughs> we'll head into Grit's Gratitude Corner because I think it's it's fitting. But today I had, I've been participating our, our the organization in Tennessee that represents immigrants and refugees. It's called Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition. And I have been participating in a study uh, that includes deep values-based canvassing. And I think I brought this up on the on a previous episode. But unlike traditional canvassing where you're at a door, you're talking to people about a campaign or a candidate for 40 seconds, you actually show up at a door of a voter and you talk to them for 40 minutes about a really complex issue like abortion and immigration. And I am so grateful for this opportunity because I've been able to travel all across the state talking to voters about immigration uh, and fear of immigrants and undocumented immigrants and why they should have the same access and opportunities that we do. And I just, I think it connects 
deeply with what we discussed, which is I think diversity is beautiful. I think everyone should have that same access and opportunities, whether you're an immigrant or or you're not. And I think when you have an immigrant family moving into your neighborhood, like you open yourself to a wealth of opportunities to learn more and to better yourself and to develop as a human being. So I've, I'm just really grateful that I was able to talk to some voters today. And, and I told Anna this coming in, but I was able to move someone pretty pretty aggressively on we, we rate them on a spectrum of, of how they feel about undocumented students not having full access to uh, tuition equality in, in the state of Tennessee. And what was striking is that when I first showed up at the door and I said, how do you feel about this issue? She said, oh, I'm against those immigrants. They, you know, they shouldn't be taking opportunities from our kids. Well, I, you know, I was able to engage with her and that's what you do when you're at the doors for these, for this exercise. And I said, well, you know, what has been your what has been your relationship with inter- with immigration? What's been the intersection of your life with immigration? She said, well, you know, my my high school daughter, she she went to this all-white Christian school uh, out here, and, and now she's going to the public school, and she brought home a Mexican about two days ago for, for dinner. Um, and so I guess that's kind of my first... My, my first interaction with with immigrants I said okay well so I just I, I want you to kind of step in the shoes of, of of your daughter's friend when she turns 18 and she's applying for college and if she's undocumented she finds out she doesn't have the same opportunities to go to college that your daughter does and yet you've spent the past eight years four years I'm sorry she was a but like you you spent the past few years interacting with her family and getting to know them and appreciating them as human beings on this earth. And do you think at that time that your daughter's friends should, should have the same opportunity? She's like, well, I I never really thought about it like that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So would you show grace and compassion to her? And do you think that's, that's what should happen? She's like, yeah, you know, I just, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been really, it's just been one of the most enriching and revelatory experiences Unfortunately, we don't have a team of deep values-based canvassers across the state, which could eventually transition into electoral politics with votes. But, you know, it it takes a lot of time and energy to do that. So I'm very Mm -hmm. grateful for that opportunity. Anna, what are you grateful for? Yeah, that makes me think, I mean, this isn't necessarily what I was planning on saying, but I was just thinking about the people who fund the work that we do. And it can be really, really grating sometimes when when you have to fill out all the great reports and you have to like constantly bring them along and make them understand what, what perspective you're coming from. But like when people fund things like this and I've been to, I think they called it a listening session. That was another, like just trying to have novel ways of approaching the work that um, take care of the people doing the work. I think elevate the the, the, right, right. The most marginalized people who the policies affect. Yeah. I think that's super important. And I think that we should keep striving to, diversify like the the type of uh, the way we structure our work and the type of tactics that we use like deep deep um values-based canvassing deep values-based canvassing (laughs) say say five times a lot of words and the people who fund the work I'm I'm so grateful and I wish that we that there was only more people that would do it but my thing that I am grateful for is people reaching out to me when I'm kind of in this I'm definitely in a self-preservation mode just with like everything going on and I'm feeling excited but also overwhelmed with work and I'm feeling excited but overwhelmed with the wedding and I'm feeling excited but overwhelmed with who I'm going to be as like a what I'm going to be when I grow up (laughs) because I still think about that like every single day 
Um, Who knows, Anna? I know, right? And um, in this mode where, like, it's really hard for me to even do basic tasks. And, like, I flit around and I'm like, well, this week, like, I'm going to eat every single meal at home. And then so I'm, like, obsessed with, like, meal planning and cooking and all this kind of stuff. And I get to so hyper-focused. Like, this last week I read seven books, which shows that I'm in a really, like, it's not a healthy, <laughs> not a healthy space at all because I'm just like reading constantly. And, and in the midst of all of this, like for some reason this week, like I've had so many people text me and reach out to me and I probably haven't responded to half and I respond to them like three days later and all that kind of stuff. But like, it really is so meaningful. And I think we can become so, so disconnected in some ways and just living in our own little silos. You don't really notice when someone's not showing up online. Like you notice when they are showing up online and you're like, oh, their life looks so cool and all that kind of stuff. If someone's not showing up like that, then like you should reach out. I I really just like, you never know what's going on you care about in their life. And so like, I think just like when in doubt, just like text people random things. If someone if someone like goes through your mind, goes rogue, like, goes rogue, or well, goes oh, rogue, yeah. Well. But like, if, <laughs> like if you have me. if you have like a thought about someone, send them a message, and even if they don't respond, it typically is that's fighting against the the inertia of like what is happening in our society of us being so disconnected and having the only thing that shows is your brand. That's how I feel about so much so much of life right now it's like your brand and like I'm the, especially like again I keep going back to the wedding but if people are waiting for me to what am I gonna wear to this shower and like so many people seem so invested in this how do you show up in a way that these symbols of the wedding are not the health of Alex and I's relationship we're so but that's I mean but that's an unfair societal burden that is placed upon people getting married it's part yeah. of the wedding industrial complex but I will say that your brand is on fleek as <laughs> as the youths say on fleek is that a thing still uh, I don't know. I haven't heard it in a while. Well, your brand is so good that we have our first request for a promotion. They're not paying us yet. Maybe they will eventually. But my roommate who works for Retail Me Not listened mm. to the episode. She heard about your online shopping and she said to use the... I don't... <laughs> <laughs> we need to practice our... How does, the inter- how does the internet look? Hold on. Tell Anna to use Retail Me Not for her online shopping. Okay, so really we're just giving them free promo. So Retail Me Not, when you pay us billions of dollars to do your – when we get big and our hair is is teased out and our makeup professionally done, Mm -hmm. then you can pay us the big bucks. No, wait. You will be paying the big – you will be paying us the big bucks. So we can do that. There we go. Yes, definitely. That's cute. But anyway, text text your people – Think about interesting ways to do the work um, that really, you know. And combat neighborhood mm-hmm. stigma. Yeah. <laughs> and vote. And vote. Well, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram is where, where we post the hot pics of my dad and sarongs and the coffin. And the cats. Oh, and, the oh, coffin. And the cat. And the cat. Twitter, we're not super active, but that's kind of our policy hub, our policy platform. And then Facebook what is facebook what is that's a real question that's okay that'll be for Maybe another we're episode. gonna have a facebook group and we're gonna have like we do have a private group the griddles and people yeah, ask to join please it. join the griddles and we'll start having conversations in there once well, we have merch god there's so many there's so many opportunities stickers. i have some stickers oh yeah if you want a pineapple sticker join griddles on facebook group and if you join the group we'll send you stickers post your address but not wow. before the russians get it yeah don't <laughs> do that DM. maybe dm, DM. your address <laughs> Please do not post this your ads. super, uh, we've thought this through. So on that note, all right, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, Mom is back from her mineral and gem show in Arizona, and she is ready to talk about turquoise. 
Until next time, <laughs> keep it gritty. Keep it gritty. Bye. Bye.